Are you ready for a new journey this fall? Join Dr. Patricia Cooney Hathaway, Professor of Spirituality and Systematic Theology at Sacred Heart Major Seminary, as she leads an inspiring online course called An Introduction to Spirituality. In this college-level course, dive into the depths of the Christian spiritual life, discover how spirituality goes beyond religious practices, and how it shapes how we live our faith every day. Dr. Cooney Hathaway will guide you to understand God's presence in your life and equip you with tools to deepen your relationship with God. Visit shms.edu slash online to learn more or enroll today. Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation on the biggest stories out of the Vatican. 9 p.m. Texas time, two bishops from the Vatican will be meeting with Bishop Strickland. Not long ago, he publicly, on his social media, accused Pope Francis of having to use his words, a program of undermining the deposit of faith. The Vatican has carried out a visitation of the Diocese of Tyler, Texas, where Bishop Joseph Strickland has accused Pope Francis of undermining the deposit of faith. Francis Leo takes possession of the Diocese of Toronto as the new Archbishop, replacing Cardinal Thomas Collins. He says his Toronto appointment came as a surprise, but a welcome one. Meanwhile, Pope Francis has appointed a new slate of young archbishops to lead influential dioceses around the world. We'll look into these legacy appointments. And the Pope has a number of trips planned this summer, first to Portugal and then to Mongolia. His surgeon telling Vatican Media the Pope is well enough to travel and that he'll now be in better condition to do so. And in our last episode before our summer hiatus, we'll look ahead to what's happening in the Vatican this summer. I'm Colleen Deli. This is Inside the Vatican. Good morning from New Orleans, Jerry. Good afternoon from a very hot Rome, Colleen, full of tourists and pilgrims. And we've got a real flood of tourists. So that added to the heat. And now, of course, the breaking news. Yes, it's not just tourists flooding and it's breaking news flooding. And we heard this morning that Cardinal Zuppi, who is the Pope's point person for this peace mission to end the war in Ukraine, is going to Moscow today. Yes, I believe he's probably on the plane right now. He's expected to arrive in Moscow this evening and he will be there for two days, the 28th and the 29th. That's a two-day mission like he did to Kiev in June when he was there for the 5th and 6th of June. What do we know about his visit? We know the visit. It's not mediation. This is very clear. The, the Vatican's made this clear. But it's to try and lessen tensions, to try and create a climate in which talks can happen and uh, perhaps open up ways for negotiations down the line. And also to really promote gestures of humanity. And Jerry, who's he meeting with? Well, he's. it seems very clear that he's going to meet with the Patriarch of Moscow, uh, Patriarch Kirill, uh, remember Cardinal Zuppi was a member of the Sant'Egidio community, and they were always very close to the Russian Orthodox Church. Is there any chance he meets with Russian government officials? Yes, he'll probably meet with somebody close to President Putin. Whether he will meet Putin is really the big unresolved question. Uh, the feeling is probably not. Whether he meets the Russian foreign minister who already is well-known in the Vatican. He met uh, the Vatican's 
Secretary of State in at New York at the United Nations General Assembly last September. That's during the war. So it's not to be excluded, but we have no confirmation. Got it. I think by the time our listeners tune in to our podcast, there will probably be information and maybe we can put it online as well. Yeah, certainly. It'll be up on americamagazine.org. And if it comes out before the show comes out, then we'll link to it on our show page like we usually do. So, Jerry, let's jump into our first story, which is happening stateside. Um, The Diocese of Tyler, Texas, has confirmed that the Vatican carried out an apostolic visitation of that diocese. We don't know exactly what prompted the visitation, but it comes after the bishop, Joseph Strickland, caught global attention for tweeting that he rejects what he called Pope Francis's program of undermining the deposit of faith. Now, we know that the Apostolic Nuncio, who is the Pope's ambassador to the United States, had reportedly confronted Bishop Strickland previously about his outspoken and controversial Twitter presence. But it's not clear at this time if the apostolic visitation happened in response to those public statements about Pope Francis or for another reason. So, Jerry, since we're a little low on details, I wanted to get a more general view from you. Can you just tell us what happens in an apostolic visitation? What does this mean? First of all, the decision to have an apostolic Apostolic visitation is a signal of something very serious in a given diocese. You can have apostolic visitations of seminaries, of other institutions, but to visit a diocese, it means there's something really problematic in the diocese. The decision will have been taken either by the Congregation for Bishops, now called the Dicastery for Bishops, which is headed by Archbishop Prevost, or It may have come directly from the Pope. We don't know this, but certainly the Pope will have been aware that this is happening. And Jerry, we should add that just this morning on Tuesday, June 27th, the news came out that following an apostolic visitation in the Knoxville, Tennessee diocese, the Pope just accepted the resignation of that diocese's bishop, Richard Stika. Now, this was related to issues of mismanagement and his alleged mishandling of sexual abuse allegations, but it is an example of a previous apostolic visitation that now has resulted in the resignation of the bishop. So I wanted to ask you also... What happens after an apostolic visitation? Well, after the visitation, which the visitation involves speaking to various people in the diocese, so it can be one or two visitors, sometimes more, they will talk with various people whom they would believe to be people that they would have information and would be able to speak to the problems that the visitation is dealing with. Who are the visitors? Who are the people who who come to do this visitation? Well, they're usually bishops. They can be canon lawyers. I I don't know in this particular case because Rome has given from this side Mm -hmm. no information. Got it. And and that's kind of par for the course Mm -hmm. because they usually do not declare publicly we're sending in an investigating team to visit this diocese. There is a sense of like due process here, right? They want to kind of preserve innocence until proven guilty, I guess. Yes, I I think this is basically the case. In this situation, they will file a report and bring it back and it will probably end up on the Pope's desk, almost certainly. At which case, if it's a serious issue, uh, some action will be taken by the uh, Holy See. in the question of Bishop Strickland, I've tried to talk to one or two people here in the know, and they said, well, that statement that he has made, that he's undermining the faith, that the Pope is undermining the faith of the church, that really is a red line position and would be considered very serious. We don't know if that's the reason it went in, but certainly it is out there and it will not have gone unnoticed and would be 
I imagine it would be, you know, you can't ignore the elephant in the room. So I think on that statement, it would not be surprising if they come back. And I think he would have to walk back that statement or he would be in deep trouble with the Holy See, in my understanding of people I've spoken to. Got it. Yeah, that's kind of my second question here. So this is a really big story in the US, but how is it perceived in Rome? Really, Colleen, you know, the church is big. Things that happen in one diocese in the United States often do not get reported in Rome. I'm talking about in the media and thing. People in the Vatican will know because information travels there. But I've not really seen it apart from some Anglophone uh, websites and such like. It's, it's not hit the Italian media as such. Now, turning our sights toward the Vatican this morning, um, Pope Francis is meeting with some of the most newly recently appointed bishops today. Uh, and a few of the people that he's chosen to lead major archdioceses lately are relatively young for bishops. So his appointments recently in Toronto, in Madrid, in Buenos Aires, and in Brussels are all in their 50s. Jerry, I was working on a story on this uh, last week, and I looked for data about how common it is to have an archbishop in his 50s or not. I couldn't find much. Do you have a sense of whether this is unusual, appointing these younger men? It's obvious that Pope Francis is looking to the future. Mm -hmm. He will want bishops who share his vision of the church. This is not unusual. Appointing young bishops, remember John Paul II was 58 when he was elected pope. So we've had bishops who have been nominated, appointed at the age of, in their 30s, in their 40s. So in the 50s, it's fairly up the ladder. But when you're talking, as in your article you did, about appointment to key sees, to key dioceses, like Madrid, Toronto, uh, Buenos Aires, uh, Brussels, these are big, important sees. And obviously, while much care is given in the appointment of every diocese. It just doesn't happen. It's not an accident. A lot of thinking and research investigation goes into before the appointment of any bishop. But on the key, the big C's, uh, really there there's even a greater level of reflection at the Holy See. And frequently it, it may be the Pope himself who, he appoints all of them, but sometimes he may choose people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there were actually reports that at least one of these men were not on the turna, the list of three candidates that were given to the Pope. He just chose them on his own. Yes, and this, in fact, is not unusual for Francis. Benedict did the same. John Paul II did the same. I mean, it's within the remit of the Pope. He can appoint whom he wishes. But obviously, most of them, not all of them, have been bishops or at least quite in senior positions in the diocese. Jerry, if our listeners are wondering about the process of making a bishop, we actually did a deep dive on this that I'll link to in the show notes. Um, It's a really interesting process and not something that gets to see the light of day a lot. So we know that a pope's kind of enduring impact, his legacy in the church is felt through the men who he appoints bishops. And if you're appointing a younger man as a bishop who's going to be in place longer, obviously that impact then will be felt longer. So what do you read from these recent appointments about the kind of church that Pope Francis is trying to lay out for the future? We've discussed on this program before the qualities that he's looking for a bishop. He's looking for people who are not ambitious social climbers, as it were. He's looking for people who uh, are not judgmental, that 
reach out that are open. He's looking for people, what he calls the, with the smell of the sheep, you know, the people who are right there in, in the midst of the people working. Uh, he's looking for holy men, obviously, and he, he's looking for people with an ecumenical mind that are open to the ecumenical, with a concern for justice, peace, and especially for the poor. He's looking for people who are humble. Uh, so th these are some of the qualities. Obviously, he, he will try to find uh, people who share his vision of the church. And this is a synodal church that Francis has behind. And we're in the midst of this uh, process now. You know, in the past, you've had pretty uh, patriarchal, authoritarian bishops, and Francis is moving the church away from that. By appointing these men to Kisis, of course, these people will also have a voice in the appointment of other bishops in the countries. Yeah, that's an important point. So I think it will be, this is an important part of Francis's legacy, mm -hmm. the type of people he puts in key positions. Jerry, you spoke with one of these men, Bishop Frank Leo, who is the new incoming Archbishop of Toronto. How does he understand his appointment as a young bishop to the largest diocese in Canada? What did he say to you? Well, he told me he was stunned when he received the news. Mm -hmm. He said, uh, I asked the nuncio phone to him and said, are you free to talk? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he said, yes. And he, the nuncio then told him, the Holy Father wants to appoint you to Toronto. Mm -hmm. And he, he, he said, I, I, I stopped and, and I asked him to repeat. <laughs> uh, and of, of course, it comes as a shock to many people. I mean, he'd been just appointed some months earlier to Montreal. Mm -hmm. It was a very interesting uh, interview. He told me a little about his early life and uh, about uh, how he sees Toronto. And I mean, he'd, he'd worked in Montreal. He'd worked in Australia. He'd worked in he'd worked in the Vatican diplomatic service for uh, three years, I think. But it's interesting. He, he was trained in Canada, not in Rome. And Francis is tending to appoint quite a number of people who are trained in their home countries. Francis himself, remember, never studied in Rome. That's right, yeah. He tends to see the benefit of that. Yeah, I think he wants people who know their home countries really well, who know the people that they're going to be governing really well. They have the smell of the sheep. Yeah, exactly. And if, if you're living out of the country and trained, uh, spend a long time out of the country, you may well kind of pick up another smell, and which may not quite work. All right, Jerry. So if our listeners want to learn more about this, you're going to have an interview with Bishop Leo coming out soon. I have the article up already on young bishops being appointed across the church if our listeners want to learn more about who these men are. And then I also have an article up explaining the background of the situation with Bishop Strickland and his controversial tweets. So we'll link to all of those in the show notes for further reading. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk about the Vatican's summer plans. Stay with us. Saints for Sinners offers hundreds of saint medallions, all beautifully hand-painted right here in New Orleans. Every medal is unique, and there's a saint for everyone and anyone. For animal lovers, for musicians, for mothers, for daughters. These saint medals are all wearable, and they make great gifts for any occasion. The saints offer guidance, perspective, comfort, and most of all, hope. These one-of-a-kind, hand-painted saint medals are tiny tokens of hope. Find your saint online at saintsforsinners.com. 
imported from Italy, hand-painted in New Orleans. Visit saintsforcenters.com. Are you attentive to the realities and challenges of life transitions and aging? Do you want to cultivate and share the wisdom of your experience with others? Are you ready to reimagine the shape of the next stage of your life in a community of peers? If so, become a Wisdom Fellow. This is a 12-month cohort learning program offered by the Institute of Pastoral Studies at Loyola University, Chicago. The Wisdom Fellowship is for adults 50 and over who seek interior growth in a community of support and who seek mission and meaning in their lives, taking on roles and flourishing as wisdom leaders for their families, communities, and society. The experience kicks off with a one-week residency in Chicago. It continues with regular online meetings and discussions, includes a short pilgrimage to encounter those on the margins of society at the U.S.-Mexico border, and culminates in a pilgrimage following in the footsteps of St. Ignatius through Spain to Rome. Accompanying the group are spiritual directors, Loyola University Chicago faculty, and trusted community leaders. For more information, visit www.luc.edu IPS. Then click on the Continuing Education tab where you'll find the Ignatian Wisdom Fellowship. Or just click the link in the show notes of this episode. This is our last episode before Inside the Vatican goes on hiatus until September, but keep your eye on your podcast feed because we will be publishing special episodes throughout the summer. Before we go, though, we wanted to give you a preview of what's happening in the Vatican this summer. So, Jerry, what do we know about the Pope's summer plans? We've just had uh, news from the prefecture of the papal household informing us that all audiences, both public and private, have been suspended for the whole of the month of July. Is that normal? Yes, yes, it's normal, but they they specified, which is a bit unusual, not just the general audiences, but they said the particular audiences and special audiences. What does that mean? Please decode the Vaticanese for me here. The message is very clear. The Pope is not having any kind of formal audience during the month of July. Okay. I can't guarantee that some head of state doesn't uh, kind of parachute into Rome that he won't meet him, but the, the audiences are out for the month of July, 1 to 31 July. And they said the next public audience will be on the 9th of August. Because remember, the Pope is going to Lisbon for World Youth Day from 2 to 6th August. My impression was that August is usually the month off and that July, usually things are still happening. Am I wrong about that? Yes, it, it tended to be mid-July. or it, it has varied, I think. It depends it. on the program because the, the Pope has traveled in the month of July. So Right. And we know that you know previously the Pope had the surgery on July 4th, 2021, which threw everything off for that summer. Jerry, actually, that that transitions me into my next point. So we know that the Pope has been told to rest. He's had some audiences canceled already since he returned from the hospital. At the same time, we know that he's been packing his schedule pretty full. I, it seems like trying to make up lost time from his hospital visit. So his doctors previously said it would take until mid-September for his abdominal muscles to heal from that surgery he had on the hernia. What do we know about his health now and and whether he's going to take these orders to rest seriously? Well, I've spoken to several people who've been with him in these days. 
he, he returned from hospital on the 16th, Friday the 16th. And if you remember, instead of going to the Vatican, as everybody had expected, he first of all went to the Basilica of Santa Maria Maggiore to pray in front of the Madonna and thank her. And then he went to a chapter of sisters who were having the beginning of their meeting very near the Vatican. And uh, he, he went dropped in on them. Uh, so he was losing no time. And then since then, he's had the president of Cuba, the president of Brazil, and countless other people. His program has been packed this week after coming out of hospital. Yeah, I remember over the weekend on, on Saturday morning, I was, you know, relaxing, having my coffee, and I saw his schedule came out, and he had like seven meetings on a Saturday morning. And that's not even the private meetings. And he had a meeting with 200 artists, and I watched him shake hands with every single one of them and sometimes exchange uh, some words. Mm -hmm. he, he really has pushed himself to the extreme in these, so much so that people here are, are a little concerned. And they are very happy that the audiences stop next Saturday. You and I have spoken a number of times about how when Pope Francis takes a holiday in quotes, it's what you call a busman's holiday, what we would call like a working holiday here. Do you think he's actually going to be resting? Yes, he will slow down. He, he understands he has to slow down, but he, he will do, he's, he's a reader, he's an avid reader, and he reads very quickly and he writes very quickly. So he will be reading books that come in, people, articles and things. He will uh, be listening to music. He loves listening to music. Yes, we know he has a collection of 2,000 CDs. <laughs> then uh, he will obviously uh, phone friends, meet friends. Uh, he, he will do this kind of thing. And he will be planning ahead because he knows he's got a synod coming up and what he can hope for it, and maybe a consistory of cardinals at the end of the year. So, Jerry, after this sort of pause for the month of July, Pope Francis is going to hit the ground running again. He's going to travel to World Youth Day from August 2nd through 6th, which will be in Lisbon in Portugal. Uh, and he's also going to travel to Fatima during that trip, and he'll likely use that visit to pray for an end to the war in Ukraine. Can you just walk me through what's what's on his schedule? Is this going to be a packed trip like usual? Yes, I, I'm surprised really at the amount of events on this trip. Because he's going to arrive on the 2nd, and he's going to meet the president, he's going to meet the authorities, and so on, give what will be probably a major talk on the situation in Portugal, but probably also referring to Europe and the global issues. And then he's going to meet the priests and the deacons and seminarians. He's going to meet the Scholas Ocorrentes, this movement of students working for peace and uh, encounter outside of Lisbon. And then he's going to meet the bishops of, of Portugal. And then he's going to have the opening of the World Youth Day. He's going to have some meetings with the young people. And then he's going to go to Fatima for praying with young sick people. They will recite the rosary. I, I was surprised we're all going there. I mean, all this journey, I will be traveling on the plane with the Pope. And so all of us will be able to go to that. Oh, usually they would just send a small group, right? We were expecting there would just be a pool of a small group of journalists traveling. But we're all going. Does that give you a clue of how important this is? Like, what do you make of that? Well, you know, Fatima has been linked from the beginning. We go back to 1917, 
World War One was happening, and there was prayers for Our Lady. And those apparitions requested the young children to pray for the conversion. Ask people to pray for the conversion of Russia, for peace in the world, etc. And so, so it's directly linked with this. And last uh, um, March, Francis reconsecrated Russia and Ukraine to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, praying for peace, and but, but with some intensity. So his visit there will be directly linked to this. And remember, the last time he was in Fatima, he canonized the two young children. Two of the three who saw Our Lady of Fatima back in 1917. And then the, the other one was the Sis Suor Lucia, who has died, mm-hmm. and who has now been declared venerable the other day. And so uh, this is, uh, I, I think, uh, a prayer situation in one of these shrines, which uh, Marian shrines, which attracts an enormous number of people, and w- w- but which is directly linked with peace, with Russia, with the role of Russia in the world. And I, I think Francis will, that will be a prayer for peace and with young sick people there praying with him the rosary. I, I think it will be a moving moment. And then he returns to... Uh, Lisbon for the vigil of the World Jute Day, the and then the final mass, and then returns to Rome. That's a lot. That really is. And then on the thirty-first of August, he will get on the plane again, fl- fly, I don't know, nine, ten hours to Mongolia, and he he will be there from. He'll arrive on the thirty-first. He'll be there the, the first, the second, the third, and he re- returns to Rome on the fourth. Right. And this is going to be an important visit to watch because of Mongolia's proximity to Russia and to China. We're going to be covering this right as we come back from our hiatus. It'll probably be our first episode back in early September. Jerry, what do we know about this trip so far? Well, we know that there are a population of about three and a half million in this country. It was one a great empire. Then there are about 1,500, 1,500 Catholics. So they say he'll be able to meet every single one of them. <laughs> It's a very, very small Catholic population, yeah. Yeah, but this is really classic Pope Francis, going to the peripheries. Jerry, so we talked a little bit about the Pope's upcoming travel to Portugal and Mongolia. We talked a bit about him taking a rest in July. We also know that a lot of his work is going to continue. We know that his peace mission to Ukraine is continuing right now to Russia and Ukraine. We also know that the Emmanuel Orlandi case has been kind of re-examined by the Vatican, and they've found a few new things that they've passed on to Italian authorities. So a lot is still going on. Is there anything else in the Vatican that we should have our eyes on this summer? Well, of course, I think Francis has to make some new appointments. His people are reaching a certain age, and he will be, I imagine, in his spare hours, he will be looking around and saying, who will I put as head of the doctrine for the faith? That is the big appointment that many are waiting for in Rome. But also there are other offices where he could well replace. So we could see you know, a whole battery of appointments. Mm-hmm. And there are a number of U.S. bishops who are reaching retirement age soon. Absolutely. There, there, there will be several. I think the constant concern of the Pope is the war, the fear of nuclear tragedy. I, I think this is really deep in his heart. Everyone he talks to, he, he brings up the question of the war in Ukraine. 
He's concerned about the other situations in Yemen, in South Sudan, in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, and Myanmar. But the thing that he sees is really a major threat to the whole world is how this war in Ukraine will evolve and then and Jerry, you mentioned that his his first audience back from break is going to be on August 9th. That's the anniversary of the bombing of Nagasaki. So it's it's likely that he'll probably have more to say on this this summer. You know, Francis from the beginning has been a pope of surprises. And even if he's on holiday, I wouldn't put my bottom dollar that something won't come out. All right. Well, we will keep our eyes on that. And obviously, if something really important comes out, we'll give you an update here on the Inside the Vatican podcast. And you can always follow the latest Vatican news at americamagazine.org. Before we go on America's Jesuitical podcast this week, they're going to have a special interview with Cardinal Michael Cherney, who's a close collaborator with Pope Francis. He's the head of the Vatican's dicastery for promoting integral human development. He's also the co-author of a new book called Siblings All, Sign of the Times, The Social Teaching of Pope Francis. So in this interview, our colleagues discuss with Cardinal Cherney the legacy of the Second Vatican Council and how Pope Francis's pontificate is deeply rooted in that council's vision for the church. You can go listen to that on the Jesuitical podcast, which you can find in your favorite podcast app. You can also listen at americamagazine.org slash podcasts. And finally, we have a listener survey linked in the show notes. We would be so grateful if you all would go take a few minutes, fill it out, give us some feedback on the show. It really helps us to shape the future of Inside the Vatican and make it more of what you want. And Jerry, that does it for this season of Inside the Vatican, our fourth season, if you can believe it. Uh, I hope you have a great summer, and I look forward to talking with you again in the fall. You too, Colleen, and I wish our listeners, whether they're in the summer season or in the winter season, because some of our listeners are in the winter season, I wish them a happy... Happy hiatus, no matter where you are. Happy hiatus, yes. (laughs) All right. Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. This episode was produced by Sebastian Gomes. Audio engineering by Kevin Christopher Robles. Production assistance from Cristobal Spielman. To keep up with the latest news out of the Vatican, please follow us on Twitter at I-N-S-D-E Vatican Pod. That's inside without the second I, Vatican Pod. You can also find me on Twitter at Colleen Dully, that's C-O-L-L-E-E-N-D-U-L-L-E, and Jerry at Jerry O. Rome, that's G-E-R-R-Y-O-R-O-M-E. Please consider becoming a digital subscriber to American Media. You can just click the link in our show notes. It's really easy to do. It's the best way to support our work here on Inside the Vatican. And for a limited time, you can subscribe for only $1 for your first month. Visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe. And if you have a little time to spare after all that, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. For America Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Dully. We'll see you next time.